I saw JP take his jacket off, and I think I'm going to copy him because it is kind of a warm morning and happy Sabbath. This morning, I'd like to speak on a topic that has been on my heart for a little while. In fact, uh, some time ago, I started to journal some notes around it, thinking it might be a, a good um, topic or an appropriate topic to share if I was ever asked to speak. And I'm referring to the topic of integrity. <clears throat> and my daughter's got ahead of me and uh, <clears throat> already started moving into the, to the subject. By the way, I have a very vague recollection of that happening. <laughs> But uh, I had forgotten all about that until they brought it up at home. Um, so, uh, you know, integrity, what is it, what, what it's not, and what it means or should mean to Christians of any faith. <clears throat> and I have to tell you, it's, it's kind of scary to preach on a topic like this because, you know, who wants to get in front of God's people with empty words and hypocrisy and I can I can tell you for sure it's not me and so I'd like to start with prayer and then we can get into the topic together <clears throat> dear Heavenly Father at this time we ask for forgiveness of our sins we invite your Holy Spirit to move into this room and move on our hearts and be the one to really speak to all of us, including myself. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Those who are experts in relationships may tell you that we spend, in this life, we spend most of our adult lives in and out relating, in and out of uh, major relationships all the time. For example, we begin life uh, in the parent-child relationship where we are the child and we are learning how to relate to the authority of a parent. And as we grow up, we add the teacher-student relationship where we learn how to relate to other authority figures that are not our parents. And as soon as we go beyond the walls of our house, um, our relationships expand to include friendships with people that we meet at church and at school and so on. We finish school, get a job, and we are introduced to the employer-employee relationship. And along the way, we become financially stable, we buy houses, and or we move into an apartment, we become a neighbor to another, and there's the neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor relationship, which you know you would think is um, simple, but actually, uh, it's not so simple all the time. I remember um, being at my uncle's house years ago, and the, the two neighbors that were um, in front of, of his house, they, they got into a dispute. The, the one guy was outside on the front lawn actually arguing with the wife of the other. It was them two outside. And suddenly, the husband of the woman came flying out of the house. I mean, I'm not sure if there's any background there or if he even understood what they were talking about, but he, he clearly did not appreciate his wife being yelled at and the fists were flying. Um, not good. 
Moving on, uh, some of us fall in love, get married, and have the opportunity or the privilege to experience a, a, an intimate relationship with a spouse. We have children who enter life and start the parent-child cycle all over again, except this time we're on the other side of it. We're the parent trying to figure out how to relate to a child, and all of us who have raised kids know how easy that is. <laughs> and of course, the, um, the biggest relationship, the most significant relationship we have is the one we have with our creator, Jesus Christ. Now, I started this sermon saying that I wanted to speak about integrity, and I've just spent the first five minutes or so talking about relationships. And here's why. Integrity and relationships are inseparable. See, without integrity, you absolutely cannot succeed at any of these relationships. I mean, I can't succeed at the parent-child relationship. I can't succeed in the workplace or in my business, at least not in the way that God can be associated with it. I can't be the husband and father that Jesus Christ designed me to be. In short, almost without exception, every activity and every transaction in our lives unfolds within the context of a relationship. And so, if I don't have integrity, I have nothing. And as Christians, we need to understand this very clearly because integrity is a spiritual matter. The only source of true integrity is Jesus Christ. And the world, with all its wisdom, doesn't get that. In fact, um, you know, the world is arrogant enough and bold enough to try to teach us Christians what integrity is and isn't. But God didn't call the world to lead in this area of integrity. When Christ, who is also the head of the church, communicates his expectations to the world on morality and righteousness and honesty, purity and all of it, he communicates it to the church first, expecting us to turn around and model that to the world and not the other way around. And there are many examples of this principle in scripture, but I'll just share one with you and if you will, Go with me to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. Revelation 1 and verse 11, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll see that this is Jesus speaking to John. And he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. He doesn't say, write it down and send it to the Gentiles in Rome to see if they can get their act together or write it down and send it to the idolaters in Athens. He says, send it to the churches where my people are. It's you and I who are in the church and know better that need to worry about righteousness and morality and take that seriously. And I'd like to pause here for a moment and just ask the question, you know, what is integrity anyway? We know it comes from Jesus Christ, but when I have it, what is it? And what does it look like? Well, I'd like to begin with agreeing on what it's not. 
integrity, having integrity doesn't mean that you are sinless or perfect or that you don't make any mistakes because if absolute perfection was a requirement for integrity, then unfortunately none of us would have it. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Another verse that makes this just as clear, if not more clear, is found in 1 John 1.8, and I will turn to that one. It's just a couple of pages back from where we were in Revelation. 1 John 1.8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And skipping down to 10, he says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his words, his word is not in us. So you can see from God's word that, you know, God is not playing perfection games with his people. He understands our situation. We're sinners. And God is more interested in the direction of our hearts. He's more interested in our attitude and what makes, what motivates us to do what we do. He's not obsessing over you know, the sins that, or mistakes that I might commit today, uh, those things will take care of themselves when integrity moves in. The bigger problem is getting to a place in my life where, in my relationship with Christ, where I can make wise decisions based on the Bible. Integrity is a lifestyle. It's a direction. It's a continual God-inspired desire or bent toward right doing. When we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and he begins to win the battle over our selfishness, over our greed, over those ingrained sins of our youth, we start to, to get on that journey and eventually integrity overtakes us. And God in his, in his uh, amazing grace, even though we are sinners and fall short of the glory of God, when we get on that journey, he actually considers us men and women of integrity. Integrity is a choice that begins with the decision to make a full surrender to Jesus Christ. And as we wrestle with surrendering each piece of our lives to him, a spirit of integrity takes us over. That's the way God's blessings work. They overtake us on the run as we're on that journey, in that direction. And um, I'd like to uh, just share one verse with you. Turn to Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, if you will. And th this is a popular verse, but I just want you to note the language there. Deuteronomy 28. It says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. The earth. And watch this. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Some versions of, of the Bible say these blessings will come upon you and accompany you. It's like you're on this journey with the Lord, and you wake up one day and boom, you're, you're, just, you're living on a higher level because that's, that's how it works. But let's not fool ourselves. Integrity is a journey, but we are not on that journey when we are constantly feeding on the world. 
If we want to live lives of integrity, we need to accept the invitation of God to renew our minds in Christ Jesus. And this is just not going to happen if our heads are stuck in the world. The theaters and the bars and the amusement venues here in America are packed with people who don't seem to have time to study their Bibles or learn anything about Jesus. And I don't mean these places are packed with just anybody. I'm talking about Christians. They're packed with Christians. Christians who don't have time to read their Bibles or learn anything about Jesus. Christians of all faiths, including Adventists, are so preoccupied with the world and in many cases know more about the lives of their favorite Hollywood actors than they know about the Bible or Jesus Christ. And it's no wonder Christian integrity is going by the wayside. And those who keep track of these statistics say that this generation, which ironically has more access to information than any other, may be the most biblically illiterate generation in history. And it shows. It shows in our behavior. It shows in our dress. It shows in the decisions that we're making, in the way we so carelessly blow off our beliefs and live life however we want. If you, if you Google some of this research that's out there about the decline in Bible knowledge and its impact on the church, it's heartbreaking. In fact, I, I was tempted to share some of it, uh, that information here with you, but some of the statistics when I was looking at this and some of the responses that people gave when attempting to answer simple Bible questions were so ridiculous and insulting, to be honest, that I didn't want to risk mocking the name of Jesus from this platform. If you would, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 4. And while you find Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 17. And some of your Bibles have a, a heading right there that says the Christian walk, but while you find Ephesians 4.17, I'm going to go back a couple of pages and read how this book of Ephesians begins. Ephesians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle to Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. You see, I want to read how this book starts because you can see by what he says. He's talking to the faithful in Christ Jesus. He's talking to us. <laughs> He's not talking to rebels or atheists. He's talking to people like you and me, to the church, the ones who, who know better. And he says, uh, so going back to uh, verse, chapter 4 then, and verse 17, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. He's, he's literally saying, you know who Jesus is. 
You have not learned to act this way from him. You didn't learn this behavior from Christ. You know what he expects. And those of us who have children and have ever rebuked our kids for doing something, you know, we, have you ever said to them, hey, what are you doing? I didn't teach you that. <laughs> That's not what you learned from me. I think every parent has said that at least one time, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Hey, come on. Come on, guys. Jesus taught you better. Verse 21. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, and as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There it is. He wants us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians to remind them that Christ is the only source of power for right living. And Paul is kind of hammering the world a little bit. I mean, if you, he's, I mean, more than just a little bit. He's painting a picture of the lack of integrity in the world. If you, if you read closely, he says the world is vain. Their understanding is darkened. They literally alienated themselves from the life of God. In other words, the world is spiritually dead. They're ignorant, sexually immoral, greedy, blind of heart, liars. I mean, it's, it's quite an ugly picture that he's painting. And he's calling on Christians to stand up and live like they really belong to Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, put these things off. They are unbecoming a Christian. In the life of a Christian, there's just no place for doing things like cheating on your taxes lying on loan applications to get what we want, taking advantage of someone in a business transaction and then calling it a blessing. That's terrible. There's no place for making promises we don't intend to keep. There's no place for intentionally conveying false information and innuendos to our spouses, our children, our coworkers, our church friends. There's no place for spreading rumors and gossip and being mean-spirited while claiming to be, belong to Jesus Christ. Because that's what the world does. And it, it lacks integrity. Now, before we're tempted to think that perhaps God is being a little too hard on the world through Paul, it would be good to clarify one thing, and that is that God is not against worldly people just for fun I mean he's not literally not just you know being unfair to those in the world example Naaman the captain of the armies of Syria was a heathen but the Bible says literally says in in 2nd Kings chapter 5 that he was an honorable man and that and I quote by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria God was literally helping this guy and if you think about it, to hold that kind of a position of, in the king's cabinet of leading the armies of Syria, while you have leprosy, that's incredible. This guy had to be good. I mean, there is no question he had to have been an amazing person. I mean, who, 
Who keeps a leper around to run your army? And we know from Naaman's story that God was not wrong about him. He became a converted man. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a horrible guy, there's no doubt. But God stuck with him. He kept working on him. He literally gave this heathen man the biggest prophecy, like dream, prophetic dream ever. I mean, some people struggle with Ellen White. What about King Nebuchadnezzar? This guy was nuts. We need to trust God when he provides messages to his people. He gets to decide who he gives the message to. And when he chooses someone, even when that person doesn't seem right to us, we need to trust God because he knows what he's doing. And we know from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, that again, God was wrong about this guy. Nebuchadnezzar was ultimately converted and as messed up and as arrogant as he was, he literally accepted God. And it's interesting that he did so through the example of a man of integrity. We should never underestimate the, the, the impact that God can have on the world around you through your integrity and my integrity. Jesus didn't reject the Roman centurion that came to him in Matthew chapter 8. He healed his servant even without, you know, going to his house. And then he turned around and told the crowd that was there, man, I haven't seen faith like this. Not even among my own people of Israel. So God is not running around rejecting people just because they're in the world. Because there is no condemnation for those who are truly in darkness and don't know any better. That's why Jesus, when he was on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do or what they do. On the flip side... King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, King Belshazzar, saw the handwriting on the wall and was punished because he knew better. The Bible says so. He knew better. You can, you can find that in Daniel 5 and verse 22. He absolutely knew better. But go with me to John chapter 3 and verse 19. John chapter 3 and verse 19, and we're pursuing the idea that God is not running around attacking people just because they're living in darkness and don't know any better. John 3, 19. He says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Again, condemnation comes when we have received light, but we by our own choice reject that light and prefer to live in sin. Every man's fate is determined by his or her response to the light that they have received. So Paul is reminding us in Ephesians 4, where we were, that we as Christians have received the light of Jesus Christ. We are empowered to live lives of integrity at home, in the workplace, at church, or anywhere where our relationships take us. And we need to apply scripture and truth to our lives. For example, if you're a Christian young man or woman pursuing love with ungodly girls or guys, the kind that reject light 
and mock your religion, that lacks integrity because you have not so learned Christ. Ephesians 4.20, we just read that. If you're married and you're being a little too loose at the office with the gals or the gents, that lacks integrity. You have not so learned Christ. Are you looking for God to be a partner in your business or in a business venture you'd like to undertake? He will not be your partner in greed or dishonesty because it lacks integrity. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and we need to pray for cleanness of heart in all of our business dealings. God expects his children to act with integrity. And it's really awesome that it really doesn't matter which member of the Godhead you're talking about. <laughs> they all believe the same thing and they're united in the belief and expectation that those who profess godliness need to live lives of integrity. Let's take a quick look at God the Father, Psalm 15. In Psalm 15, and I love how this, this psalm begins because it, it paints a picture of God as a host. It's like, you know, what kind of guest, oh God, would you like to have at your house? And he says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, not to be confused with condemned. If you have the King James Version, condemned means convicted of a guilt, but here contemned with a T, as in Tom, means to despise. In God's eyes, the ideal man properly evaluates potential relationships with others and rejects vile and corrupt associations while honoring those that fear God. And David, who wrote this, practiced what he preached. If you read Psalm 119 and verse 63, he says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Who knows how much trouble we would avoid if we would just do that. Stay away from corrupt people. And so, as you finish reading Psalm 15, God makes a powerful promise through David in verse 5. He says, He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that does these things shall never be moved. And these are strong words because here in this life, you know, we say never say never. But God, who is the king of the universe... He can say never. He's saying you will never be moved. If you live a life that looks like this, you will never be moved. It's a promise. So Christians don't have to worry about whether their life is going to fall apart or not. We should worry about living lives of integrity and claiming this promise. That was God the Father. And let's take a quick look at Jesus, Matthew 5, 8. And that was our scripture reading, which JP read this morning. Matthew 5, 8. 
<laughs> I'm looking at Mark and I'm thinking, why doesn't this sound right? <laughs> Matthew 5.8, all right. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if there's anyone who could make a statement like that and, and, and know what he's talking about, it's Jesus who knows God and knows what it takes to see him. And he's saying, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then, you know, these words in Matthew 5, 8, they're, they're lifted or they're taken from the Sermon on the Mount, as you know. And this sermon, in this sermon, Jesus literally lays out in very plain detail what a life of integrity looks like. He says, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers. You are the salt and light of the world. Stay away from anger. Stop judging others. Love your enemies. Be a man or woman of your word. Stay away from sexual lust. Pray with sincerity. Be careful with the lust of money. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and everything else will come together for you. And he ends this mighty sermon in the same way that God ends Psalm 15. In verse 24 and 25 of chapter 7 of Matthew, so Matthew 7, 24 and 25, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon, upon a rock. He who hears these words and doeth them, he says the same thing God said. It's like God the Father and Jesus Christ are in agreement that a life of integrity will be backed by them, and you will not be moved. That's a promise. You can bank on it. That was Jesus. And we all know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes our lack of integrity cuts our life short. And this story is not about money for those who know the story. God doesn't need our money in that way. When you, when you study this story in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, and I'm going to turn there just for a second. If you want to go there, it's Acts chapter 5. You know, you, you, you realize that chapter 4 ends in verse 37. And it ends with Barnabas of Paul and Barnabas' fame, that Barnabas, also selling a property and laying it at the feet of the disciples, like Ananias would do later. And so, but chapter 5, when you start reading chapter 5, it goes right from that. And chapter 5 starts with the word, but. <laughs> but a certain man named Ananias. In other words, the writer is drawing an immediate and sharp contrast between the real generosity and the sincere generosity of Barnabas to the greed and lack of integrity that you're about to read in, in chapter 5. And when you read the Bible commentary on this, apparently Ananias was moved, actually, by the public approval that the church was showering on the people like Barnabas who were, you know, selling their land and, get, and bringing their gifts to the church. And he, he wanted that same limelight, if you will. But 
Well did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount that you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time, which is what Ananias was trying to do. You can't do it because one of your service to one of those two is fake. And Paul made it, uh, sorry, not Paul, Peter made it clear in verse 3, 5, 3, where Ananias' heart was. He says, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of this land? Listen to Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7, 17. Ecclesiastes 7, 17. It says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? There's a point at which our foolishness and our dishonest living cuts our lives short. The Holy Spirit, being God, also expects those who profess godliness to live lives of integrity. And unfortunately, Ananias and Sapphira learned a hard lesson that day. There's so much in the Bible about integrity. There are so many verses when I was, you know, studying for this sermon. I, I could hardly, I mean, we, you know, there was just so many angles, so many directions. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ, and he is a man of integrity. God in Revelation calls him a faithful witness. But we need to wrap up here because the clock is ticking. So I'd like to leave you with what is probably the most famous quote um, from Ellen White. And it, and it just happens to be on this topic. And um, it's found in the Book of Education, chapter 7, page 57. And if you've been around the Adventist church for any time at all, you have literally heard this 10 times. But today I'm hoping you'll hear it different, that you'll hear it as a call to action if at all the Holy Spirit has convinced you or impressed you that there's room for growth or room for spiritual improvement in your life. In chapter 7, where this quote comes from, it's titled, Lives of Great Men. And of course, she chronicles the life of Joseph, of Daniel, Moses, Elisha. These were all imperfect men, like you and me, who were completely committed to godliness and integrity. And so I'll read the quote which you see on the screen. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. And after she says that, she makes it clear in the very next paragraph that a life with a character like the ones of these men that she chronicles in that chapter, it's not luck. <laughs> it's not accident, she says. This is not an accident. You have to want 
to be on that journey. And, you know, when you act like God wants you to act and you get on that journey, it may not go well. You may literally get fired. You may get persecuted. You may not be included in the boys' club. I mean, I experience that at work all the time, and it hurts. It hurts, right? If we just real about it, it hurts. It hurts to see your colleagues planning something or planning a meeting, planning a PowerPoint presentation for the executives, but they can't invite Elvis because, you know, they, they've got to say things that maybe I'm not going to say. And one time, one of my bosses told me, he said, Elvis, you're so honest. It was not a compliment. That's, that's the way the world works. But you may be shut out of the boys' club, but you will not be shut out of God's kingdom. And that's what matters. May God give all of us the will and the desire to embrace godliness and integrity with all our strength. Amen.